The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We're going to be in 1 Peter this morning. I want to say thanks to Hannah and Chris and Brad again. Brad and his buddy Brian have a, a podcast called The Storied Outdoors. You can see on the screen, it's somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark. So if you love Jesus and the outdoors, uh, you might enjoy their podcast. Just a quick update on our Ukraine food drive. Here's what it looks like. We're going to ship a 40-foot container of food and supplies to Ukraine, and we need about 20 pallets. We've got three of those pallets full, so please continue to donate uh, to shop as we load up this food that will go to our sister churches in Belyat Surkov, and they will distribute throughout Ukraine. They'll distribute this food, and they will distribute bread that does not fade away as they share the gospel with people. And just because there are a lot of new people here, a couple of things that, that people mentioned to me this week that are good to mention. Um, someone said last week that two or three people went to the welcome desk and said, how do we give at this church? Which is a question I absolutely love. But 20 years ago when I came here, I said, hey, how do you give? These people didn't pass the plate. I was coming from a church where they did that every week. So we've got some, we've got some boxes uh, around the church to say general fund and building fund. You can give there or you can give online. But the fact that people asked uh, is really a testimony to your generosity. You've always been a very generous people. You continue to be a generous people and we're able to do the ministry we want to do in our city and the world. So just a huge thank you for that. Um, but because there are a lot of new people as well, I want to tell you, we've got a newcomer's brunch that's coming up, and it is going to be the, uh, the 10th of September at 10 a.m. If you go to our website on the front page, top right corner, there's a little black button called the Hub. If you go there, you can RSVP, and that's the place to begin learning about Temple Bible Church. Again, that's September 10th at 10 a.m., uh, September 18th, real significant moment in the history of Temple Bible Church. We're going to celebrate TBC being the body of Christ for 50 years. We're excited about that. And, uh, and we're, we're going to hear from some folks who were here from the very beginning and from some elders and spouses who've been here for a, a long time via video. We're excited about that. And, uh, and as we think about the history of Temple Bible Church, you can't really do that without thinking about Gary DeSalvo, who pastored us for 38 years. And Friday marked three years of his going to be with the Lord. And if Gary were here this morning, uh, knowing I was going to teach and heard me say that, he'd be standing right over here just like this. <laughs> a little smirk on his face, and he would say, stop talking about me, teach them about Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. So we're in First Peter chapter 1, second week of a series where we're just asking God, would you make us holy? We can't do that on our own. There's nothing in us that could do that. But through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, we can become holy like he is holy. So let's just read our text this morning, verses three through nine. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God, speak to us today through your word, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today in this passage, what we're going to talk about is is how the presence of God is at work in the lives of his people. And they're just beautiful, wonderful, lovely things for us to see. Last week in in verse 2, we talked about how the Trinity is right there, Father, Son, and Spirit. And and in 3 through 12, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit are expressed again, really implicitly though, they're all here in verses 3 through 9. And so we're just going to see some things that Peter reminds these people of this morning. And the first, the first thing is that he reminds them that they bless God. Well, why do they bless God? Why does he say, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's according to his mercy. We bless him for his mercy because we're not getting what we deserve. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's mercy and grace together. We're getting what we don't deserve, grace, but we're not getting what we do deserve, mercy. The wages of sin is death. We've talked about this before. If you work at Bucky's starting out now, I think you make $18 an hour, which is a lot more than I made when I was a teenager starting out. You work five hours, that's $90, right? That's what you earn. After taxes are gone, you have $7.50 left, right? (laughs) It's a wage. What we earn with the wages of our life is death, separation from God. But because Jesus came and lived and died and rose from the dead, all who hope in him, they get mercy. We get mercy. And according to his mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born again, it's anagoneo, it's the act of the Holy Spirit that imparts to us a new life, making us partakers of the divine nature, thus children of God. It's begat again or created again. When you are born again, God's not giving you a little bit better version of you. He's recreating you. If any one is in Christ. He's a new creation. Behold, old things are gone away and new things have come. It's new creation. So what he's telling to these people and what he would say to you, if you've not been born again is according to his great mercy, he'll, he'll make you new. Well, what does it mean to be born again? That just sounds strange. How can you be born again? That's the exact question this religious leader really smart guy knew a lot about the scripture his name's Nicodemus he said to Jesus Jesus said if you would enter the kingdom of heaven you must be born again and he said how can you be born when you're old you can't go back into your mother's womb 
Kids, if you have questions about that, ask your parents. They'll tell you, right? Well, but it's to be born of the Spirit. It's a new life that God imparts, God puts in us. And our God and Father, we bless because he's not just our God and Father. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Well, what is a living hope? We hope for all kinds of things that are just dead hopes. My parents said you can do whatever you set your mind to. And I remember as a kid thinking, I am going to be a professional offensive lineman in the NFL. I set my mind to it, right? But at 5'9", and maybe a little too much, I'm never going to be an offensive lineman, right? See, we hope in all kinds of things that can't actually come to us. But this is a living hope because... It's according to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. When hopes fall apart, we hope for something, we hope for a new job, we hope for a great relationship, and it falls apart, and we say our hopes are dashed. It's like a plate being dashed against rocks or a hard floor, and it it crushes it. Our hopes have been dashed or crushed. When Jesus rose from the dead, the hopes of death for all who believe were crushed. Death's hope was crushed because life, death will never be master over Jesus. It will never be master over those who follow Jesus because he rose from the dead. We could just stop here. Our hope is an assurance. It's an assurance because Jesus rose from the dead. Well, it's not just that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But there is more. We're born again to a living hope. And then we're born to an inheritance. This is beginning birth, inheritance, and look at verse 4. To an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Some of you have inherited things. Some of you will inherit things. And those things are going to perish. They're going to fade. When I was a boy, my grandfather gave me a little pocket knife. And it's a really special pocket knife. But it has lost its luster. The springs don't work. You can't sharpen it anymore. It looks like a toothpick. That's all that's left of it. It's faded. But this inheritance that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his spirit is a seal of that inheritance. It's imperishable. It will never go away. It's undefiled. It's pure. It's unfading. And then it's kept in heaven. That word kept there, it's a military term that carries this idea of being guarded under a watchful eye. This inheritance that we have is guarded not by guys driving an armor truck, right? Not by prison guards or special forces soldiers. It's guarded by God. It's kept in heaven so it is not subject to corrosion, erosion, corruption, or defilement. And it's physical, not just spiritual, because when Christ returns, we will join him in the new heavens and the new earth, and we will be with him forever. 
not just free from the penalty of sin, not fighting victoriously over the power of sin, but away from the presence of sin and the new heavens and the new earth. And it's going to be beautiful. It's unlike anything we know. When we hope for an inheritance, it's hard to imagine. We're almost like kids hoping for a new toy. Y'all know Christmas is four months away, so tomorrow Target is gonna send these little catalogs to our houses, right? And they've got all kinds of toys in them. And one of, one of my kids, he does not understand, we'll say circle something you like, and he thinks circle something you like on every page, which is not what we're talking about, right? And a kid gets a new toy on Christmas morning, and he's hoping for it, and he just cannot wait for it, and he gets it. He can't live without it until he can, right? Which is usually about December 28th. <laughs> but we've got we're hoping for something the less the luster will never go away it'll never be defiled we for all who've been born again are the children of God and always will be always will be now that's not all. We could just stop here and go, man, this is amazing. This is really good news. I'm going home joy, joyful today. But it's you who've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I want to talk about this word, who, you who are being guarded. What's implicit there is not everybody is being guarded. Peter's writing to believers in Asia Minor in the first century. He's writing to those who have been born again. Not everyone has been born again. And this is a good moment to stop and talk about just lies that have been told in every culture. And one of those lies is the idea that no matter what you believe, no matter who or what you worship, no matter how you live, everyone will eventually be saved. What's called universalism. It sounds good, but it's not good, right? There's a lot in life that sounds like that. I'm going to tell you three things that sound good, but they're not good. The first is Guantanamo Bay. That sounds amazing. John Maturi, where are you going on vacation? Oh, I'm going to Montego Bay. Really? I'm going to Guantanamo Bay. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Sounds like a great vacation spot, but it's actually a prisoner where war criminals are kept, right? Or a prison, rather. It's not a good place. The second thing I want to tell you about is this festival called La Tomatina. La Tomatina is a festival in Italy, and it kind of sounds fun, right? Here's what happens. Thousands of people, and they pay to do this, by the way. They go get drunk for about three days straight, and they throw soft tomatoes at one another. <laughs> Good time, right? That sounds great, but it's not great. Let me just say without going into details, tomatoes everywhere, right? Don't mishear that last word everywhere. No, thank you. Third thing that sounds good, but it's not pineapple on pizza. It's just not, right? Listen, the idea of universalism sounds good, but it's really, it's really not. Well, what could be wrong with it, Chase? Everyone gets saved 
Well, first, and this is not in my notes, but first, just God gets robbed of glory is the first thing. But, but there are about four or five things that just, just maybe would help us understand. No, not everyone is born again. Not everyone's being guarded by God's power. And the first is it just doesn't work with Scripture. Lots of verses we could talk about. I'm just going to talk about one. Jesus talks about people who have actually in truth followed him and people who've not. At the end of Matthew 25, he says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And what people will do will go, well, right, Chase, but the eternal punishment's not actually eternal. It's just a little punishment. And then they go to life. The problem is it's the same word, eternal punishment and eternal life, right? Well, I don't know about you, but I really want eternal life to be forever, right? And the word, the word just means what it means. It's the same word in Greek and English, right? Eternal, forever. So those who are apart from Christ and reject Christ, according to scripture, over and over and over again, if anyone believes in the son, he has life. If anyone who does not believe does not have life and the wrath of God remains on him, present tense, continuing action. It's hard to reconcile with scripture. The second thing is if universalism is true, if everyone's going to be saved, well, why did Jesus have to die? It just makes no sense at all. Well, some will go, no, 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 Jesus died so that everyone could be saved, whether they believe or not. Well, again, that's just not what the scripture says. Well, then people do this really weird thing. They go, well, no, those who believe in Christ will be saved, but those who've never heard, they, they get a free pass. Now, again, sounds great, but let's stop and think. That actually means that when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he was actually giving his disciples a really bad idea. Go make disciples of the nations. Go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, uttermost parts of the earth. We sent Ashley Butte to Japan where 99.5% of the population is unevangelized. Well, if you haven't heard and you get a free pass, sending Ashley Butte to Japan is the worst idea in the world. Don't go tell them, Ashley, then they'll be accountable. But, But actually the scripture says that what can be known about God has been made known. That his divine nature and invisible attributes have been made clear through what has been made so that everyone is without excuse. And then the, the last thing is that if universalism is true, there is no sense of final justice. You think about the awful dictator who's killed hundreds of thousands or millions. You think about people who have just harmed children and live unrepentant until they die. If universalism is true, there is no sense of final justice. But the the story that scripture tells, right, is that either, either sin is punished on the cross and we trust the work of Jesus Christ to forgive our sins, or those sins are punished forever and ever and ever for those who do not trust Christ. It sounds good, but it's not a good idea. Not everyone is guarded, but these people are guarded. 
by God's power, through their faith, their trust in God for a salvation that's ready to be revealed. God is keeping us until he shows us what it looks like to be with him forever and ever and ever. So these believers have this unshakable confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because they're listening to a guy who witnessed his resurrection. Peter, who's writing this letter, can write with confidence because he saw the resurrected Christ at least four times. He didn't just go hallucinate on a Sunday, at least four times. And he's gonna suffer for Christ and these people are gonna suffer for what he and others saw. In over 40 days, the risen Christ gave many proofs that he had risen from the dead. These people have this growing understanding of who God is, so they're gonna trust him in their suffering and then they are growing to trust that these apostles are writing words from God. So Peter doesn't just tell them to bless the Lord. He reminds them that there are people who rejoice in God. They rejoice in God. In this you rejoice. What is this? In this you rejoice that they've been born again by God's mercy to a living hope and that they have an inheritance. They are really, really excited. Well, why does he have to even tell them rejoice? Because I, of course, Peter, they're gonna rejoice. Did you hear what you said to them? In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Now, just for a little while, he says, you've been grieved by various trials. It's in this season. Now, you can read this and think, well, does, does he mean the trials are small? He says just for a little while. No, he doesn't mean that. See, the risen Christ looked at his friend Peter and John 21 says that Jesus said to him, Peter, when you were young, you dressed how you wanted and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, someone else is going to dress you. You're not gonna go where you want and your arms are gonna be stretched out. And then John says, Jesus said this to him so he would know what sort of death he's going to die. So he says, you're gonna rejoice even though for a little while you're grieved by various trials. Well, it's not that the trials are small, it's that what they're rejoicing over is so much greater than even the worst of trials. I want you to hear, I don't think that's a light thing. I looked at a couple last hour who a couple of years ago lost their child. I saw a lady in her body this week, her husband abandoned her several years ago. There was a brother at 930 who's walking through cancer. I talked to a gentleman this week, his wife is going through cancer. She's got 18 weeks of chemo, then I think something like 35 days of radiation. Some of you, marriage is broken, your job's hard. It's not that the trials are small, but it's that what is coming for us is so much greater. The joy that's coming for us is so much greater. These trials are for a little while. But life on earth is a short prelude to eternity and God wastes nothing in the trials. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Now I gotta be honest, when I read this, you might do what I do. You might get scared, right? Oh, I don't want those sort of trials. Or you might think, well, I could never imagine suffering like they suffer, right? 
Because the Roman emperor is not going to take us and dip us in tar and light us on fire at a dinner party like some of these people might have experienced. Somebody help me with this. James Carroll and I went to see Nathan and Kristen Henson. They're TBC missionaries in Cusco, Peru. We went to see them in 2017. and, And I was just talking to Nathan about some of the things that they've walked through. They had a a child who almost died right after birth, had to be medevaced. Kristen fell last year. I mean, broke bones horribly. Their team fell apart. They've had to rebuild the team. They live at an altitude where altitude sickness is a regular part of life. And I was just talking to Nathan about how they've suffered. And Nathan goes, well, Chase, you've suffered. And I went, no, no. And Nathan said this, and I think it was good for me to hear, and I think it's good for us to hear. He said, no, you've suffered. He said, it doesn't matter if you get knocked down by a sixth grade bully on the schoolyard or if you get knocked down by a professional fighter. Getting knocked down is getting knocked down. And all of us, in some way or another, if we followed Christ for just a bit, know what it means to suffer. He says, though you suffered various trials, There's lots of kinds of trials, but as we suffer, it's just for a little while. And as we suffer, God doesn't waste it. Peter says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, listen, I read tested and I immediately think, am I going to pass the test because I have some PTSD from high school, right? But Peter says this very positively. You're suffering for a little while and you're going to pass the test so that your faith will be shown genuine, so that it'll be shown pure. And here's the reality. We all want a faith like that, but we don't necessarily want what gets that faith. We want a faith that looks like gold, right? But we don't want the fire. We want a faith that's shiny, that's beautiful, that's lovely. But we don't want the forge of affliction. And the reality is that without the fire, our faith doesn't grow as pure as it might be. It's just for a little while. Just for a little while. Though your faith more precious than gold, he says. It'll be shown as genuine. It'll be shown as beautiful. It'll be shown as lovely. It's better than gold that perishes. And it's going to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you listen to Peter's reasoning, What you're going to find out is that verse 8 is what's left as they walk through the furnace of affliction. See, the impurities get burnt away. So he says, though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Just like Peter has reminded them that they are a people who bless the Lord, that there are people who rejoice in the Lord. He's going to remind them that they love God and that they believe in God, that they do trust God. And it's this beautiful, beautiful thing. 
They love God whom they've not seen. It's unashamed, extravagant affection. It's the picture that we've all seen of a soldier. He's been deployed. He comes home and he reunites with his wife and his kids. I was going to put a picture of that up this morning, but I looked at 15 Thursday afternoon and I cried every single time. And I just didn't want to cry today. But we know the picture, right? It's this extravagant affection. We do not now see him, but we long to see him. We long for this unabashed intimacy. And we love him because he first loved us and because he now loves us in ways that we don't often understand. There are things which are objectively true in our lives that we do not consciously experience. I don't know if you understand that, but that's true. There are things that are true, objectively true, in your life that you do not consciously experience. These are my friends, Matt and Jessica and Micah Bowden. Would y'all welcome them? Now, here's what's true about Micah. He looks really comfortable, Matt. I might get you to give me a hug here in a second. That looks amazing, right? Here's what's true about Micah. Whether he's sleeping or whether he's screaming, he is being cared for in ways he does not understand. Every day he's cleansed in ways he doesn't know. He's nourished in ways he's unaware of. He's dependent on his parents for every single thing. And they very joyfully are caring for him and loving him and making sure he's okay, even when he does not realize it. Isn't that amazing? I think that's amazing. Thank y'all. Here's what's true about you and me if we're in Christ. That we, when we're going through the fiercest of trials, when we're on the best of our days, and everywhere in between. We're being loved and cared for and sustained by a father in ways that we are unconscious of. We do not understand. We do not know. We can't wrap our minds around how loved we are by God. So in response like this church in Asia Minor, these churches, we love him even though we've not seen him because he is loving us in just amazing ways all the time, all the time, all the time. Well, how are these people loving God? How are they loving God? Well, what's happening for them in the first century is that they found the resurrection to be true and very true. They believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And so with their lives, they're loving God, even in the midst of their suffering. They're speaking truth about Jesus in their community. They're, they're caring for the poor in their community. We know these things would be true of them from history, from non-Christian authors in history. They've seen Jesus as the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. So they're loving God by loving his word. They're growing to know and understand that Jesus is the way. And then their lives are being transformed in ways that are simply just not natural. It's supernatural. Well, how do we know if we love God? 
Now, I'm going to put some things up here that I think are good markers. I want you to hear number three that I'm going to put up makes it really clear this is not about legalism. If you're not doing this, you're failing the test. That's not what I want us to see. But here's some good encouragement that we can know from the scripture. We know that we've come to love our God if we keep his commands, if we recognize Jesus as Lord and we walk in obedience to him by faith. There's an obedience of faith that I trust, so I'll obey. We know we love God if we keep his commands. We know we love God if we love one another. The scripture asks, how can we love God whom we have not seen if we cannot love our brother whom we have seen? But some of us have just absolutely blown it this week, had a horrible week, sinned and failed, and we wonder, I want to turn back but do you even want me to? And the spirit of God in those moments testifies to us that we are his children. And then we just have this growing desire to be with God and his people. I, I just got to tell you, I, I hate uh, both physiologically and emotionally and uh, socially all kinds of things that COVID brought to every nation But in the midst of that, let me tell you something that I love. I love seeing people come back to church. Been away a long time for whatever reason, and they're coming back. Maybe they're coming back to your small groups as you crank back up. One of the marks of of people who love God is they just can't stay away from his people. Hard to come back sometimes, but they just keep coming back. Things are not the same. That's just the nature of life in this broken world. But we just keep coming back. And what is the same in this place is that Bible has been our middle name and is always going to be our middle name. And because that's true, then our lives as people who love God together get shaped in a Godward direction. The spirit of God inside us is transforming us into the likeness of Christ. Right? I see my friend Tim Waits out there. Tim, like it or not, you're being made in the likeness of Christ, right? That's just true if you're in Christ. That's what's going to happen. And there's so much joy to be had in that reality. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. It's not just this mental ascent, but trust in, rest in, hope in, rely on. We're trusting in the work of Christ. And then, this is my favorite part of this text because I believe it relates to our suffering. You rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible. We said last week, you can see Romans 8 in 1 Peter, and you can see it again. And I love how it's connected here. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says that we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray. And when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit intercedes with us or intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And if you've lived very long, you know there are some prayers that can be sighed but not said. There's this longing, there's this lament, there's this pain. You can't even muster up the words you know you need to call out to God, but you just don't have anything to say. And the Spirit intercedes for us. Well, this rejoice, that's prayer language, right? You rejoice with joy that's inexpressible too. 
Just like they're groaning so deep, you can't say the words out loud and the spirit intercedes. There's joy so deep that you can't say the right words. You don't even know how to express how amazing it is. Now watch this. I believe what's beautiful is that when we trust God through suffering, the groanings of pain become the joy inexpressible because we've seen him. We've seen him as sovereign and with us in the fire and the flood. And we're just blown away. We just don't even have the words for it. It's a joy that's inexpressible. And the Bible says it's filled with glory because in the midst of suffering, we find out Romans 8 is true. All things are not good, but God works all things together for good. For those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. These people are blessing God. They're rejoicing in God. They're loving God. They're believing God. And they are obtaining the outcome of their faith, the salvation of their souls. That's final salvation, not initial. It's final. They're obtaining, it's in process, sanctification. We're being made like Christ in trials. And as we are, ups and downs, moments where we're doing great, moments where we fall apart and he picks us back up. We're weary and we come to him and he relieves the burden. We're obtaining in process and what we're obtaining, we will obtain the final salvation of our souls. It's sanctification that's headed toward glorification. That's what's happening in this church or these churches in Asia Minor. That's what's happening in our lives in this very moment 2,000 years later. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing I have to ask you a question, though. Peter is writing this to a certain people, and I have a question. Could you be a recipient of this letter? What do you mean, Chase? Could I be like an Asia Minor in the first century? That's not what I'm asking, right? This is written to people who've been born again according to the mercy of God, who are being guarded by God's power. It's written to people who are obtaining the outcome of their faith, the salvation of their souls. The question is, have you been born again and have you been made new? My friend Brad is going to come and lead us in a closing song, but as he comes, I would just ask you to wrestle with that. Because here's the the truth according to scripture that Jesus is Israel's Messiah, God's son, the savior of the world. And he did come and live and die and he rose from the dead. And when he died, he wasn't just being our example. He was taking the punishment of our sins upon himself. He was bearing our sin on the cross and conquering sin and death so that we could have forgiveness and life, eternal life in him. The scripture says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, fully forgiven and free and made a child of God. Has that happened in your life? If it hasn't, I'd I'd love for you to consider why not, right? And maybe you would just come connect with me after service out in that lobby or Shoot me an email. You go to templebiblechurch.org and look for Chase Bowers or any pastor on there. Really just send us an email and say, I want to know what it means to be born again. We'd love to talk to you.
We'd love for you to be guarded by God's power with us for a salvation that will be revealed. I want to pray for that now. God, I pray for people in this room who don't know the life and forgiveness and hope that is in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray, Lord, that in this moment, according to your great mercy, that you would cause them to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and that you would give them by your spirit an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven and that they would live as part of your church, a person who rejoices in you, loves you, and believes in you like you've done in those of us who are in Christ. And for us, God, would you just help us to walk in the reality of who we are in Christ, a blessed people who've been loved dearly and are cared for daily. God, we give you praise and we pray you'd make us holy. In Jesus' name, amen.